Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. And so for the first time, people are losing weight permanently. It is falling off of them because they tapped into a whole energy system they didn't even know was there. And if we could, we could probably spend hundreds of years of arguing about food. And, and I, you know, I love what you're up to because God, we keep turning food into just plastic (laughs) and people, and I hear so many people like, oh, well, I don't have time to eat, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, let's start with fasting. Let's change your microbiome. Let's get you dropping weight. And now we can start to work with your food. It's a different door in. And my favorite quote that I discussed, I I found in, in this guy and talking to this guy and helping him lose weight is. I really realized that you don't need motivation to lose weight. You need momentum. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Fasting is one of the hottest topics at the moment, and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Mindy Pels to dive into this fascinating area. And like I always say to people, fasting is potentially a phenomenal multifunctional tool that we can use to improve our immune system and our metabolic health. But the dose of fasting, the method of fasting, and whether fasting is at all appropriate if you have a pre-existing condition are all questions that are very hard to answer. Adding further complexity to the decision of how and when to fast is the menstrual cycle. And for years, Mindy has been educating thousands of women online on how to make the best use of this tool with the consideration of shifting hormones. We go into a lot of detail today, but as ever, there are so many more things that we need to discuss and we'll probably have to do a part two at some point in the future. We also talk about some caveats of fasting and who fasting is not for in this episode. And this is especially the case for anyone who is pregnant, breastfeeding, or who has a history of eating disorders. This is not at all that I would advise. I'd also highly recommend Mindy's book, Fast Like a Girl. I learned a lot from it and I've been recommending it to many women in my life, as you'll hear on the podcast It's a fantastic, easy to understand and relate to book that I don't think is just for women. I think it's very important for men to read as well. So definitely go check it out. And the link is in the podcast description captions. Remember, you can watch the podcast on YouTube and download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free to get access to all of our recipes with suggestions tailored to health needs. And do check out the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter that you can subscribe to on the website at thedoctorskitchen.com. We'd love your feedback on the matter of these episodes. So please do let us know on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and via the feedback forms on the newsletter as well. For now, on to my conversation with Dr. Mindy Pels.
Before we get started, here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Fasting is very popular right now. What are the top fasting mistakes that people make that actually leads them to lose the benefits of fasting and actually potentially even gain weight? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's not what you would think it is. Oh, yeah. It's fasting the same way all the time. Huh. So I learned this. This is the biggest mistake. And I learned this from my YouTube channel because when Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code, came out, mm. everybody started to realize like, oh, wait, w- w- calorie in, calorie out. That's not where weight loss is at. We need to think about weight loss from a hormonal standpoint. And he taught the world really how to use fasting to change the hormone of insulin. Mm. And so everybody started doing what I call, I call them O-matters. They all started doing one meal a day. They got amazing results. And at the same time that that explosion was happening on my YouTube channel, I was teaching something called feast, famine, cycling, where you kind of go back into mimicking what our primal ancestors did, which is have a feast and then go through these famine periods. Mm. And people were losing weight with feast, famine, cycling and not getting stuck. And all the O-matters came on. They like built my channel. Like all those people came onto my channel and they're like, I'm stuck. I lost weight, but now I'm actually gaining weight. Mm. My hair is falling out. And it, it it was crazy. We have to vary fasting, which is really difficult for people to understand. Totally, yeah. And I think this blends in quite nicely with what you refer to often as this sort of evolutionary lens as to how fasting yeah. has been part of our makeup and part of our, our genetic code. Yeah. How should people think about fasting? So we know just from what you said, it can't be a, a one-size-fits-all, O-matter, once-a-day thing. It has to be varied. So how, how do people conceptualize that through that evolutionary lens? What what had we had to endure that yeah. has led to fasting being something that is, is beneficial for us? Yeah, so it's really interesting. I, I constantly in my brain go back to what did our primal ancestors do? Because we are in an evolutionary mismatch, you know, both men and women, especially mm-hmm. women with hormones. But w- the modern world is making us sicker and sicker and sicker. And so if we go back to what they did when it came to food, they came out of the cave 
There was no refrigerator. There was no pantry. You couldn't have, you know, DoorDash deliver it to the cave. Like none of that existed. So they had to every day go and find food to be able to survive. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they would find food very quickly. Sometimes it would take them days to find food. So what's really interesting about fasting is we had to rely on an alternative fuel source kind of like a hybrid car. Mm. We had to tip to go into this fat-burning ketogenic energy system in order to make ketones to power up our brain and 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 give us energy and it kills hunger. Mm. So that we could go find food. And then we would find food, we would bring it back and we would feast. And sometimes that feast like if there was a big kill would last a couple of days and then they'd go do it again. So it, that's how we are built to be. What's really interesting is that in when I was putting Fast Like a Girl together, I found a hypothesis that is really fasting, fast, fasting, fasting? fascinating. fascinating yeah. uh, and it's called the a thrifty gene hypothesis. Okay. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've actually talked to some genetic specialists, like, is there, can we actually measure this gene? And the idea is that the humans that evolved out of that moment in time had this genetic profile that allowed them to go without food. Mm -hmm. The ones that didn't have that genetic profile died. And so there, that gene didn't get, it didn't continue on in the generations. So their belief is that we actually all have that gene in us now. Mm. And when we're eating all day long, we're actually now going against our genetic profile. Yeah. And they're believing that maybe it's that this thrifty gene that is contributing or accelerating the, di the, the prevalence of diabetes and poor metabolic health. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, I guess, from you is um, considering we are taught at a very young age, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Yeah. These are the three meals that you have every single day. You're meant to eat at certain times. Um, there appears to be this evolutionary mismatch between, you know, how we act today and actually how our bodies are designed to thrive in the world. And putting that all together, how should we be thinking about when we put food in and particularly, obviously, fast like a girl? Yeah. Why is it different for women? Yeah. So the first part of that question is we have to start to look at our 24-hour cycle mm -hmm. as we have a window in which we eat. And we have a window in which we don't eat. Mm -hmm. This uh, eat six meals a day; it'll speed up your metabolism. Uh, there's no evidence that that makes sense anywhere. Where did they even come from? Because I, I, I remember yeah. getting a lot of this information, particularly like 10, 15 years ago. It seemed quite fashionable to yeah. be like you know eat little and often, graze all day. Yeah. And if you think about it, just from the perspective of your microbiome, that needs your gut, that needs a rest. Right. You know, it doesn't seem like it has any. Place. doesn't seem logical no at all. not at all you know i thought about this recently that i think what happens is if you're measuring our metabolism mm -hmm. the metabolism will speed up when you eat a meal to match what it needs to do to break that meal down but that doesn't mean that you're going to lose weight because all your body did is raise its temperature and start to rev up its metabolic system to match the meal so it can process the meal so that's the only thing I can think is mm. that people were like, oh, the metabolism speeds up. But it's not like it speeds up so much that it's going to go after fat or go after weight loss. It just is matching what it needs to do to handle that, me that mm. meal. Mm. The other interesting one, and this one just kills me, 
is that in the, the breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yeah. So in the 70s, there was a, a breakfast cereal company that was putting out a new line of breakfast cereals, and they had to come up with a slogan. And they came up with breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So that came from an advert? Came from an advertisement. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And it sticks. Here we are in 2023, and it still sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally. crazy. It's amazing that because there's parallels within um, uh, jewelry. Uh, so, you know, this whole sort of, um, I, I'm saying this because I recently got married about a year ago now, <laughs> and I, I got engaged a year before that. And I remember like chatting to some of my friends about, you know, how much I should be spending on an engagement ring. And what I was told from multiple different sources is a three months wages. Mm. That That's how much you should be thinking, wow. which is a lot, right? That's a lot. Where that came from was apparently uh, a De Beers advert decades mm. ago. <laughs> So right. these kind of like these these advertising slogans, these advertising myths that perpet you know are, are so old yeah. still ring true today in this age of you yeah. know information overload. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see how these advertising slogans can have that drastic an impact. Isn't that crazy? Right now, yeah. Yeah, and on the on the metabolic one, it's you know the the most logical place my brain can go to is if eating six meals a day made you lose weight, then why do we have an, a metabolic mess mm. in the world? Why is obesity on the rise? Because mm. that isn't working. If all of the dieting we've learned up until this point worked, we, you and I wouldn't be sitting here having this discussion. My book would have never even come out because yeah. it, it everything would have been working and we would people would be able to lose weight based off of calorie in, calorie out, eating six meals a day. Maybe I'll just move my body a little more. The things that we've been taught about food and what it does for weight loss and weight gain, like 90% of them are wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So I think we have to question our, where these thoughts get in our heads. So that mm. would be the first thing I'd say. The women versus men. This one is really interesting. And I, I keep unpacking more and more and more because hormones fascinate me. But if you look at the human body, the number one desire of the human body is to stay alive. It will do everything it needs to do to stay alive. Like one thing I've been saying about weight loss recently is if your stress is really high, mm. I could give you all the fancy fasting tips, but your body doesn't isn't making weight loss a priority because it thinks it's being chased by a tiger. Mm. So it's got to get away from the tiger and then it'll come back and drop weight, have you drop weight. The other thing that I always think about with weight loss is that all fat is, is your body tried to find, store something and it, it, that wasn't, it didn't know what to do with, extra something, extra hormones, toxins, glucose. And so thank God it put it around your belly and not around your heart. Yeah, yeah. So there's so much mismatch there. But with men and women, survival is number one. And then for women, the second priority is reproduction. Yeah. So when we come to weight loss for a man... We just have to make sure that he's like not stressed out <laughs> right. and follow some of the principles like just compress your eating window, leave a little longer timer for fast and you will drop weight like this. Okay. For a woman, we have to go, okay, what, how do we fast according to the reproductive cycle? And it doesn't matter if you're 25 or a postmenopausal woman, what do we need to do to be able to make your reproductive hormones ha happy? Yeah. And that is a complicated answer because estrogen and progesterone, estrogen comes in in the front half of a woman's cycle. 
progesterone comes in the back half, they have massively different food requirements. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Estrogen loves when you fast. So keep glucose down, do a lot of fasts, and estrogen is going to thrive. Mm -hmm. uh, progesterone is completely the opposite. In fact, you have to keep glucose up. And you, and you know how we know this? You can, Any woman you ask will tell you, I am so hungry the week before my period, yeah. and all I want is carbs. Yeah. <laughs> and for years, we've been villainizing this. But your, our smart bodies were like, bring glucose up so we can make this key hormone so we can shed the uterine lining. And once I identified that, I was like, oh, okay. So fasting has to be timed to these two hormones, which is why we can go into a longer fast in the beginning of our cycle. And then as we get closer to that week before our period, we need to stop fasting. Yeah. Let, before we unpack fasting a bit more, because I definitely want to ask you a bit more about what actually happens when a person is fasting for various different lengths. But I don't want to make the assumption that even the women uh, listening to this podcast understand what happens during a cycle. Because I think there is, you know, I don't want to make the assumption as a health professional that everyone understands yeah. the difference in the different phases and all the rest of, of it. So why don't we go through what happens very briefly during the cycle? And also the way I love as well, how you've done it in the book, how you've described those different power phases, manifestation yeah. phases, nurture phases. Because I think that is, a, a, it's very emotive and it's it's a, a a very great way of understanding exactly what's going on during those cycles. And it's definitely helped me, even me, someone mm. who's been practicing awesome. for over 15 years, understand a lot more about how someone might be reacting, what emotions are going through and where they're sort of, you know, where their um, uh, the advantages are and the disadvantages as well. So yeah. what, why don't we go through yeah, what start. happens in the, in, in, in the cycle and then we can go into yeah. how you describe it. You know, what's so funny is when I went to really break the cycle apart, it's like follicular, yeah. luteal, <laughs> like, oh my God, the only part that women know or anybody knows is ovulation because we know, hey, you want to get pregnant? Focus on that. Don't get pregnant. Focus on that. But but it, there's so much vernacular mm. in in the term in in hormones that aren't isn't easy to understand totally absolutely so i'm like yeah. if we're gonna get women to understand this i need to give better names uh, totally so I renamed absolutely. Them. yeah i love that i love that and I, I honestly now i think about it i'm like that makes so much more sense because yeah. it's more it's less descriptive of the uh, the biology, but it's more uh, descriptive of the emotions and the process and yeah. the actual what actually goes on during that you know twenty eight to thirty five day, however right. long person yeah. cycle is. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, so thank you for appreciating. I appreciate it. that honestly, <laughs> massively. <laughs> so okay, so day one through day ten, I called the power phase, mm -hmm. and the reason I called it a power phase is because it starts off with our hormones being the lowest. Mm -hmm. When our hormones are low, we actually sometimes feel our best because we're just a little more emotionally st stable. We can be, um, we can, we can, you know, I don't want to say operate like a man more, but we can fast more, we can eat more, eat, um, eat, we can go into keto a little more, we can exercise more and we feel fine. Mm -hmm. But then as we go into like around day five or day six, estrogen is building. So I wanted to call it the power phase because of two things. One, you can power up on all your health habits. If you want to go into a detox, if you want to fast, if you want to push it at the gym, fine. You can even power up at work. If you want to go into a long day of work, do it during that time. If you want to go socialize, do it during that time. So it, 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 we are really 
can lean into this powerful part of us in that first 10 days. Estrogen also makes us powerful. Our, our ability to access both right and left brain so we can be creative and logical are really important during the, as estrogen is building. Uh, ask any, any menopausal woman who loses that. Mm, uh, mm. You often lose that ability to access both parts of the brain. So there's so much about estrogen that is incredible that we want to power up on health habits and it makes us powerful. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the first 10 days. Mm -hmm. Okay. So during this this power phase, so it, it, it from what you've just described, it just feels that you can tolerate a lot more stress. Oh, you can handle more stress. And you yep. can push yourself further. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. So the, uh, and this is just to bring some of my new research in that you and I were talking about. Mm. If you look at just estradiol, so for everybody listening, estradiol is the most powerful form of estrogen. Mm -hmm. We have three types of estrogen. Estradiol is what you need to release an egg. So women that are still cycling, they've, they've got estradiol. Estradiol can stimulate five neurochemicals in your brain, which is crazy. Dopamine, serotonin, acetylcholine, a, a, a brain fertilizer that mm -hmm. we call BDNF, BDNF, and oxytocin. Five of things that make you happy, help you hold on to, to um, information, mm. can help you learn new information and make you feel connected to other people. So in that first 10 days of your menstrual cycle, you are wickedly powerful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're also very joyful. So I always say to the men, like, you want the best of us? Go into some deep conversations with us. Like, if you want to resolve conflict with us, do it on like day 10. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like we've got all this estrogen in us. We're going to be a lot more wanting to connect with you. We can like, we can think things through a little bit better. If I was, um, if I had a large company, I would put all the, the women at certain times of their month in one room together to create new projects based off of this powerful form of estrogen because mm. of all the things she does. Mm. So. so great time to start a business, a new venture. Yeah. Stretch, like uh, try and hit your PB in the gym, yeah, that sort of thing. Okay, yeah. this is this is great. I think because a lot of women that I, certainly in my life anyway, um, putting aside patience, see the menstrual cycle as an inconvenience. Yes, as a result of you know yes. the ability to procreate. It's just something I have to deal with outside of you know yeah. when I want to actually have kids, if I want to have kids, and this I think is completely turning on its head. That's it's, right putting a, a, a new lens, a new spin on it, and actually showing someone that they can feel powerful and empower them as to what's going on and why their, their body is, is it's so impressive. Yeah. You, you, thank you for that interpretation of it because I can tell you as a woman, um, yeah, we bitch and moan about our cycle from the day it starts. And then when it starts to go away in menopause, we have a whole nother emotional experience. Mm. But it's just a massive inconvenience. And like you said, until we want to get pregnant and then we're happy, you know, it's working right. But it, it, it did so much. There's so much hormonally happening to us. If, mm. if women understood their hormones, they would see how powerful they are. Mm. And they'd know how to build a lifestyle around that. And they'd be able to go and talk to their doctor at another level. Mm. So like, for example, one other interesting thing in that first 10 days is as estrogen is building, so is cholesterol. So you actually have higher levels of cholesterol the first 10 days of your cycle. Oh, wow. Now, it's good cholesterol. It's HDLs. Uh -huh. 
But that's fascinating. Yeah. So when you go and you get like blood work, do they look at that? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> and I'm just thinking back now, like, you know, whenever I do bloods or any investigations, let's say, I'm not really thinking about that unless I'm looking at specific sex hormones. Yeah. You know, that's the only time where I think I've even had the consideration of, okay, we've done cholesterol ratios we've done you know hdl apo little uh, uh, apo b lipoproteins let's say i'm not thinking okay well when was this woman where was she on her menstrual cycle right i've got no and there isn't an indication on a lab either right where i can indicate okay this this woman was on day 10 or day 21 or whatever it was and so that that's fascinating because that opens up a whole can of worms doesn't it about what other things are we doing at different yeah. stages of the cycle that could impact the results and therefore the interpretation of those results that leads to management further down the line. Yeah. Wow. I, and I haven't even studied all the blood work. I did, and I'll send you this article, I mm. did find one graph in on PubMed that was showing all of the amino acid changes, all of the neurotransmitter changes, um, all of the, the pretty much is, there's about 20 different neurochemical changes that are happening in a woman through her menstrual cycle. And mineral use, vitamin use, mm. all of that changes at different parts of our cycle. Wow. So like, for example, we tend to use more amino acids post-ovulation. Okay, wow. why would you use more amino acids post-ovulation? Well, because you need more aminos to be able the, to make progesterone. Mm. Okay, well, let's put that in food, food terms. That would mean I need more of a complete protein in the back half of my cycle so that I can actually make progesterone to shed the uterine lining. Mm. Wow. Like you start, and, <laughs> and then you go, okay, well, what about if you're vegan? Okay, well, then you, maybe you're going to need to power up on some amino supplements. These are the kind of nuance that we as a, as a society have to get into for women, but we got to find a way to simplify it. Absolutely. Because, you know, personalized medicine is certainly having a moment right now. Yeah. And I think that's what's left out of the conversation is, okay, personalized medicine is great, but like, what about personalizing it for women according to the cycles right. as well? Just like you just articulated there that's with right. food and, you know, how you would need more amino acids in that later stage of the cycle. That's fascinating. And it's, uh, I mean, it's kind of mind-boggling. I'm going to have to really go and read about it. So I'd love to hear yeah, a bit I'll, more about that uh, article. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll send you the article <laughs> because it, it blew my mind. And I'm still trying to pull all the threads out because they looked at so many markers throughout the cycle mm -hmm. that I'm trying to interpret it and go, okay, now what? how do we make this simple for women? Yeah, yeah. So. So yeah, so that's the power phase. Okay, that's the power phase. Yep. And then the first bit, and I'll explain the first bit, the there's power two phase, of yeah. them, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then ovulation is really interesting. <laughs> so, and again, I'm like, God, the human body is so cool. <laughs> like what they, what the, how we were designed is brilliant. Mm. So during ovulation, estrogen peaks. So we are mentally at our best somewhere around day 10. Mm -hmm. So ovulation is day 10 to day 15. In the book, I called it the manifestation phase. And I did that very purposely because, of course, you can manifest a baby if, if that's what you want to do. But because of these hormones, you could manifest a lot because mm. you are hormonally locked and loaded for performance during that time. So if you have a new business project, do it during ovulation. You want to go ask for a raise at work? Do it during ovulation. You have a conflict you want to you want to play out or work out with uh, with a, somebody in your life. Do it during ovulation. I, I had a a man come to me and t and chat with me about his teenage daughter and how he 
you know, she's so hormonal and I just don't understand her. And um, I said, do you know her cycle? And he's like, no, should I know her cycle? I'm like, you should know her cycle because you would never try to resolve a conflict with her the week before her period. Do it during ovulation. She is hormonally prepared to sit down and talk to you. And the reason for that is because you've got estrogen at her peak. You've got testosterone at at its peak. So testosterone for women is, is more than libido. It's motivation and drive. So this is why I think a work project would be great during this manifestation phase because mm-hmm. you're motivated, you're creative, you're articulate. So you've got all these hormones that can help you fully embrace your brain and, and use more parts of your brain. Mm. But testosterone, like think about this for a moment. So you guys get testosterone like every 15 minutes or so. It kind of pulses in. You're in a 24-hour cycle. We get it five days out of the month. So now if we get in even to libido. Yeah. We're at a hormonal mismatch in libido. Uh-huh. So ideally, every if you're if you're married, a man and a woman are married in a heterosexual relationship, you would want to know when your wife's or your partner's uh, testosterone is coming in. Yeah, that's when she's going to want to be with you, and she's got all that estrogen, so she's going to really want to connect with mm. you. Whereas as we go into the back half of the cycle, you'll see that you pretty much should leave her alone. (laughs) (laughs) I'll explain that one in a moment. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the other thing I thought about was, okay, wait, testosterone also helps women build muscle. So why do we have women working out in a week schedule? We should have women do a, a monthly workout calendar where during that five day period, she's lifting weights. Maybe one day it's it's um, you know buys and tries. The next day it's you know legs. The next day it's chest and back. Mm, mm. And and she should be lifting really heavy weights if she wants to build muscle to use that testosterone. Right. So there's parts of the the cycle where you would do better overall by focusing your workouts. I'm not saying that you can't do weights outside of that 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 yep. time period. But you'd, you'd do better if you focused on muscle protein synthesis, working on heavy That's resistance, right. making sure your protein levels are adequate during that time. Because over, overall, it's going to lead to uh, better outcomes. That's right. That's right. That's, yeah. Because now, now you're working with your hormones. Yeah, yeah with, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the, the sort of like pattern and the theme that I'm hearing is you have to understand your cycle. It's almost like you have to understand the manual for your body to yeah. get the most out of That's it. That's right. Which is, it, it, it's annoying. I, I, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. trying to think of like the devil's yeah. advocate because I know my, the women in my life will think, well, you can just do it anytime you want. You yeah. don't have to think about yeah. this stuff every 30 days. You have to plan it on your calendar. But for you to get the most out of your body, understanding your cycle and when you should push yourself, yep. when you should go to the gym and do certain types of targeted exercises is going is, is gonna to have a massive impact. Yeah. And once you find a rhythm with it, it gets easier and easier to mm. understand this. What I find to the women in your life, I would say, what I find is that when you first hear this, it's mind blowing, mm. which is so silly because it's in our body. We should have been taught this. Like the day we got our period, we should have been taught this. But then once you find the rhythm, 
you're like, oh my gosh, all my health habits have never been easier. Mm. Because now I've got them in sync with my hormones. And so it just starts clicking. And every time you try to muscle through something to get some kind of result in your body, it's now coming much easier to you. Yes, yeah. Which is crazy too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes so much sense. Yeah. And again, another sort of theme I've I've heard from from obviously reading the book, but also listening to you on other podcasts is everyone should understand where you are in your cycle, who's close to you in your life, yeah. right? Yeah. So I should know where my wife is on yeah. her cycle, my sister, my mother, or my, not my mother, but, you know, uh, everyone should understand where people are. My the sort of devil's advocate, and this is definitely not your intention for sure. I think some women might listen to that and feel like, well, that's kind of my business, and I don't really want mm-hmm. people to treat me differently based on where I am in my cycle and what they believe I will be feeling in that mm-hmm. moment. I just mm-hmm. want to be treated in the same way as my male counterpart. Yeah. Oh. What, what do you think? Oh, about it's that? such a good question. I can understand the desire to keep something like a bodily change that happens to you to yourself. So if you don't want to verbalize it, I can I can totally respect that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to challenge you, the women listening, to understand your own hormonal profile. So A, you can understand yourself. And B, you can help even the closest people understand you. I'll give you an example. Uh, progesterone at the end, we'll, we'll go into that part of the cycle in a moment. But progesterone wants you to keep cortisol down. If you are pushing through and you're highly stressed and you're not keeping cortisol down, your irritability mm-hmm. is going to be through the roof. And most of the time, it's going to come at you, at your, <laughs> at your spouse, and you're going to think that it's something that they're doing that is making you irritable. But what you don't know is it's like you've amped up your system. You're going against your hormonal system. So you are on edge mm-hmm. and, and everything is reacting, you're reacting to. So I'm going to say for your happiness, let's just make sure you understand the ebbs and flows and how to cater to these hormones mm-hmm. just for your mental health. And then the, the other part I would say that is statistically women are not doing well with health. I'm not saying with like business and things like that. Uh, we have all the autoimmune conditions. We have 80 to 90% of autoimmune conditions are happening to women. Why is that? Uh, not, you know, most Alzheimer's and dementia happening to women. Why is that? You know, women gain weight more than men. Why is that? Each one of these I could pick apart and show you that it was a woman that was out of balance with her own hormonal cycle. The uh, PCOS, it is... I am shocked since Fast Like a Girl came out how many women with PCOS like have poured onto my socials, sent us message. It is an epidemic. It is the number one hormonal problem for women. And I could break that down and change that so quickly by just showing a woman how to be in, in alignment with her hormones. Yeah, yeah. Can I make a suggestion yeah, for yeah. another book? I know you're writing one at the moment. Yeah. You should write a book that's actually written for men to read to understand more about that's, honestly it's funny you say that it's funny you say that yeah. and you, i'll tell it here on your podcast first i even my publisher and agent don't know um i that's my intention for the next book i'm i'm writing the book i'm writing right now is what happens to our brain after 40 as we uh-huh. lose estradiol 
But I absolutely agree. The book after that will be how, how do we understand our personalities with all these hormones so that not only women can understand themselves, but men can understand us absolutely. too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, men being told that we're simple and we're pretty black and white yeah. and we're, you know, lucky and, you know, quote unquote, to have that sort of simplicity is great. But then understanding your partner, your sister, your mother, etc. Yeah. I think that's a real big piece of the puzzle yep. that will will, will create a, a revolution. I mean, you're already doing incredible work at the moment, but I think mm. that level of understanding will really come yeah. through even more so when you yeah. direct this information specifically tailored to men. Yeah. That's no, no, yeah. you, you must have tapped into my brain because I usually by the time I'm, I'm like three fourths through this book and I usually about this point, I start dreaming of another one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I want to invite men into this conversation because I believe that if men could understand us, then we would have um, there would be a we would understand both sexes understanding that there is a difference mm. in how our brains work based off these hormones. Mm. It would it would just bring a level of compassion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. That that level of understanding will definitely be followed by compassion. That's sure. right. Because I felt like when I was reading the book and reading it, you know, from the perspective of a, of a of a man and someone who's worked in in medicine for uh, many years now, I I I actually gained a lot more understanding of like mm -hmm. my mom and yeah. my sister and, and everyone. And I had never really thought about it in those terms before. I understand the science behind it, obviously. I understand the different phases. Yeah. Obviously, they weren't called the power and manifestation phase. But, you know, that that really did unlock a lot of um, things for me and strategies as well that I could use yeah. to have a much more balanced and fulfilling relationship with with my wife yeah. and all the women the most important to me in my life yeah so. because when you when you understand the hormonal shifts we're going through you know we're not the hormonally the same person yeah yeah every single day you are pretty hormonally the same every mm. day you you know you make testosterone it goes up into the brain and converts to estrogen so you only have to focus on testosterone but sometimes we have estrogen, sometimes we have testosterone, sometimes we have progesterone. And those three hormones make us act different. Yeah. So one of the things that I've found in just talking to so many women is that we first will turn on ourselves and start to think we're doing something wrong when we, like when we're, you know, not getting the result we want, whether in work or health or life, we start thinking it's our problem. But we didn't take these changes in hormones into account. And once you do, you start to go, oh, okay, I am going to kick butt at work day one through day 15 of my cycle. Give me, give me the projects. Let me go after this. And then as I get closer to like day 20, I'm going to cut my workload down a little bit and recover so that I can come back out of day one and I can be a badass again. Mm, yeah. That's it's there's a lot more ebb and flow to us. And so I again, I want to be sensitive to the women that don't really want to share their period, their menstrual cycle. Sure, yeah. A lot of women don't even want to think about it. But you are hormonally driven. And it's time for us to start to understand this. I don't know why it took till 2023. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I haven't figured that out yet. I, I think, you know, this conversation, I'm glad we're having it in such a frank manner. Um, but it's, I guess, it's slightly unfashionable, isn't it? 
right now. Uh, well, right now for <laughs> yeah. sure. We actually have uh, we have an app that we we are launched. We it's out in the world. People can use it now. It's fast oh, like a girl app. And you can go and put the day of your of your cycle in, and it'll tell you what fasting length, what food, what supplements. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's really in the in the beginning stages. When did that launch? Uh, we launched it with the book and it was very minimal. Okay. So, um, it now each month we're upgrading it, um, because just based off the information. So, um, but our biggest challenge is we can't really store the information because it's personal private information. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it would be nice if it could track you and keep you tracked. But that's a whole nother next level. Yeah, totally. Of complication. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There is a way to hold that information on the phone whereby you don't have access to it. We can talk about oh, that. Oh, yeah, afterwards. okay. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only yeah. know this because I've gone but, through my tech journey at the moment and privacy is a big issue. Yeah. Because we, you know, people who use our app um, uh, uh, put their health goals in. Ah. Um, so, you know, if your health goal is brain health or we're, we're adding. Uh, um, uh, menopausal health as well Beautiful. it has to be on the phone and we don't have access to that and if uh, we do see anything it has to be completely anonymized and there's quite strict rules with apple and google and all the rest of amazing. it so there is a way around that. okay yeah yeah but that's super yeah. exciting but i but i know so I, so we're trying to we're trying to bring it to and make it a, a lot easier for mm-hmm. women to understand but the, the but the comment about it's not fashionable it's like i yes and I'm going to go back to the statistics on women's health. Women are not thriving, even infertility. Mm. I mean, since Fast Like a Girl came out, I cannot tell you the number of 20 and 30-year-olds that don't have a cycle. So I'm I'm trying the best to make it as, <laughs> as cool and fun to, to look at as possible. Totally. Let's, let's go to the, the next back to the power yeah. phase right? yeah so, so we've had the manifestation phase and yeah yeah so that you come out of manifestation it ends at day 15 yeah um and then your hormones drop again mm-hmm. so i i gave that another power two. i call it the second power cycle so you can fast as much as you want i encourage you to go low carb like we're back at you could work out everything you could do in power phase one and you, that one's a really short phase. It goes about day 16 till day 19, 20. And then day 20, we move into the nurture phase. Mm-hmm. And this is what this is the whole, like the game changes mm. for all women at this point. And this is why I called it nurture. I originally thought about calling it the chill out phase. Because yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> we're all the rushing women in the world, you need to just chill out during this time. But I really wanted women to know that nurturing starts with themselves. You have to start by nurturing yourself. And one of the things we know about progesterone outside of glucose needing to be high, if cortisol is high, progesterone becomes shy. She does not come to play. I love that saying. <laughs> it's the easiest way to remember it. Yeah, yeah. So we look at all these 20 and 30-year-olds that are not having their cycle. I, if I had to do a hormone test on every single one of those women, I would probably I would tell you p- most likely progesterone is tanked. Yeah, I, I actually need, I need to rewind there a bit because I think as health professionals we we assume that everyone knows what cortisol yeah, yeah. means and why why high is bad. So what 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 is cortisol and 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 why would high cortisol lead to low progesterone? Yeah, so high cortisol happens when your body perceives stress. Mm-hmm. So the crazy thing about cortisol, there's so much we could go down on cortisol. You don't have to be doing anything to have cortisol go up. You could be thinking something. You could be remembering or thinking about your stress of your life and cortisol goes up. 
And it's the it's the a hormone that is meant to make us move. Mm. So when cortisol comes on, it's supposed to agitate you, you know, energize you so that you go run away from the threat. But what's happening right now to us is that we're getting all these cortisol surges and we're not moving. This is a big problem with why people in general gain weight is that the body just stores all that cortisol because it's not being used. Mm. So stress is a very interesting one because it's not just like I have my to-do list is too big. It's ah, this is this is another reason the next book has a, lo- a huge emotional piece to it because we've got to start working on some of the emotional blocks that hold us back because it's raising cortisol all the time. It's just pumping up cortisol and pumping up cortisol. Absolutely, so, it's yeah. interesting. Like I know you're a proponent of using CGMs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I tend to tell people to use CGMs. Um, intermittently rather than the entire time Mm. um just to give someone an idea of how they are processing certain foods and and all the rest of it and i've had a few patients now uh who happen to be women um where we've just seen like high levels of glucose and we've matched that to when they're at work and Ah. they they haven't been snacking they have they they generally have a very good diet but you can just see these like little spikes here and you just know there, that that's the cortisol that's released from your yep. glands that dumps sugar into the bloodstream because you're perceiving that saber tooth tiger or whatever that threat yep. is that you need to run away from. Yep. And that for for me has been another level of the CGM sort of movement here that's giving people a lot more information about exactly how their body is thriving. Yep. Um, in this very unusual world that we find ourselves yeah. in, you know, thousands of years after. It's a, it's evolution. such a good it's such a good. Point. I the first time I started to use CGMs in accordance with fasting, I was on a three day water fast, and I was in the second day of fast. So I haven't eaten now in two days. Mm. I had a CGM on, and my teenage daughter walked into the kitchen where I was sitting and barked something at me, <laughs> and like irritated. And we got in a you know this sort of mild fight. And then I scanned my CGM, and my blood sugar went through the roof. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't, I'm not even, I haven't eaten in two yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to your point, that's exactly what happens. When stress goes up, the body releases all that glucose. And if we go to, the, to, to a, motiv- a huge motivating factor for women that are trying to lose weight, is that every time you're in this stressful environment, spiking glucose, when the stressor comes down, all that glucose and cortisol now, now has to be stored somewhere. So it's going to get stored as fat. Mm. So cortisol is a huge piece of this. Yeah. And that's why progesterone, you got to keep, you, you need glucose to be up and, and we can chat about what, what foods would do that, but you've got to keep cortisol down. Now the trick is how do we do that in this modern world? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, I think it's like you might decide to not do your most extreme workout and your most extreme, if, if you got a lot of work at work, you wouldn't mix all the cortisol-rich you know, experiences of life together at the same moment. Could you say no more during that time? Could you turn down social engagements yeah. more? Like there, it, It's just, just allowing yourself a little more nurture time. Sit on the couch a little more and, and really go inward. We, progesterone makes us more intuitive. So we're actually a little more in, inward the week before our period. If we're irritable, it's because 
you're asking us to be more outward. Yeah. <laughs> and we want to be more inward. We intuitively want to be a little more in, you know, uh, in a recovery mode. Mm-hmm. Even the most, the, I'm an extrovert. And I still, the week before my, my cycle, when I had one, was like, yeah, I'm kind of happy sitting on the couch. But what we're taught in this world as women is to keep pushing on through. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I can, I can see that, you know, yeah. with, with patients and, and, and the women closest to me in my life of constantly trying to keep at a level the entire time. So whether yep. it's your exercise regime, whether it's your fasting regime, whether it's, you know, uh, performance at work, just constantly and, and being present for friends, going to social right. events, all that kind of stuff. And this is where I'm quite excited about your app, actually, because that little nudge, that little notification, that little reminder of, you know what, this yep. is time for you to be a little bit more introverted, a little bit more introspective. Actually, this is a time where you can... Um, you know, take time for yourself and feel good about yeah. that and actually, show, you know, believe as you are that you're doing good for your body in the long run. Like yep. that, that's, that would be a very powerful And, and this tool. is where the words come into play. What if, what if the whole world could just say, hey, I'm nurturing myself yeah. today. I can't, yeah. I can't make that social event. I'm just nurturing myself. Mm. What is somebody going to say? Like, what do you, what do you mean you're nurturing yourself? Like it's, it's a compassionate way to talk about hormones. And it, as opposed to like, ah, oh, it's the week before my period. I'm just not in the mood, yeah. which is what we do now. Absolutely. I wonder if there is like a social experiment that you could do where you actually match uh, a, a woman's work um, month and just see the levels of productivity and ha- levels of yeah. happiness if you were able to essentially uh, not gift is probably the wrong word, but it's the one that I'm I'm going to use. Um, gifting that that time off during that period, and then the rest of the time period, you know, you know, you're on like higher hours or the same amount of hours as everyone else. But um, I, I have been trying to to figure that one out. I, mm. I absolutely agree with you. Mm. I've been trying to figure that one out because you would need the 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 corporation or the company to know that you're not asking women to be lazy during that course, time. You're yeah. giving her recovery, so when she comes out of the gates. She she is ready to go on day one, day two. Now I, I I think it would have to be we've we've actually talked about it quite a bit uh, within our company and the what we've come up with and um, it was a couple of years ago Spain actually had a menstrual leave that they and maybe it was for the government officials but it was that three days out of the month and they wanted to do it when a woman's cycle started was huh. that, that a woman could take three days off at the beginning of a month when her cycle started and no questions asked it was a it was a menstrual leave i think that's how you do it but maybe you have to do it for both sexes yeah maybe you have to say hey everybody's got three days you get to decide when you use them yeah yeah. And then and then a woman could use them the week before her period. Yeah. Well, I think what's getting more fashionable these days, just thinking wider, is this uh, concept of the four-day work week. There you go. And then universal basic income, of which there are some really interesting experiments going on in Finland and India. And mm. <clears throat> we've had Professor Guy Standing on the podcast before who uh, has studied universal basic income in a, in a lot more detail. And I think there's parallels there that we could mm. essentially use when it comes to you know improving productivity and happiness within the workforce. Right. Um, which it could actually be at the benefit of a corporation as right. well, you know, who are yep. financially motivated. I'll tell you, I um, while I was here in London, I went and spoke at uh, Amazon headquarters. Oh, nice. And they have a, a menopausal group. 
And so they wanted me to come talk about the menopausal changes. And the woman who was leading the group told me that they are seeing that if women are not given uh, uh, through menopause, if they're not given enough understanding by a corporation, they're leaving the corporation. Mm. And that ultimately that destroys the profits of the corporation. It's costing them money to have women leave. Absolutely. Particularly senior women who've got yeah. experience, have that managerial skill, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it's so crazy when you start to think about this. I mean, it's for menstruating women, menopausal women. If we all just brought this hormonal conf, uh, conversation to the surface and have collaborative conversations like you and I are having right now, mm and figure out what would the workplace look like? What should exercise look like? What would food and all the things that we're talking about and come together and brainstorm this, we would we would not only save women's lives, we'd not only get the best out of women, but now we're looking at profits in the workplace. Yeah, It's that important. Yeah, yeah. It's the confluence of all those different things, yeah. health, happiness, and productivity in the workforce that everyone I believe can get on board. That's right. Um, I can't believe we've got to this point in the podcast and we haven't really dived into yeah, we, no, the it, fast it, It's so fascinating, but, but right? I think, yeah, I think it's yeah. really important to give people a, like a, a level playing field of like, okay, these are the cycles, these are the different yeah. phases, and this is why you need to be a lot more aware of the ability of how much stress you can tolerate. So let, let's go into actual fasting. So yeah. wh- why are you such a huge proponent of fasting? When did this come on your, onto your radar? And what... And, and maybe as a secondary question, what goes on when when we fast? Yeah, so I always laugh that I I was I never set out to be the poster child of fasting. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like if if the twenty year old version of me could yeah. see me right now, she'd be like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, um, yeah. because I was the hangry person. <laughs> I, I I carried food with me everywhere I went. I did the six meals a day. I ate breakfast the minute I got out of bed. I never left home without a snack. Yeah. And then I went into perimenopause and in my early 40s, all my old tricks were not working for me anymore. Like I, I was a competitive athlete in my younger years. Like I, I ate really well. I was doing every health habit right and I was gaining weight. I wasn't sleeping. I was, my moods were all over the place and this was at about 43. Mm. So I went looking for what the heck just happened to me. And about that time, do you know the? Do you remember Dr. Osumi's work? Um, he's a he was given the Nobel Prize in 2016 in medicine and physiology. For, oh, so the Yakanam, uh Was it the Yakamana factors, or am I thinking of something else? I, I don't know if you might be more in the detail of the study, but uh, it was based off autophagy. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he figured out that when you actually take food out of the equation for a certain period of time the body will actually become stronger. Mm. I think that's the first thing everybody has to know. You're going to become stronger. And this term autophagy came to the surface. He won a Nobel Prize for it. Mm. And it was basically that the body turns within and it cleans up the cells. It detoxes the cells. It makes the cell stronger. It pushes, it kills cells that maybe are cancer cells, gets rid of them. And so I thought, wow, that's the body does that without food? Like here I am, the hangry person. I'm like, how is that going to work? So then I started the term intermittent fasting started to emerge. And I thought, okay, I could try it for one day. (laughs) Let me just try intermittent fasting for one day, 15 hours. I brutally pushed breakfast back. and And when I got done with that day, I was like, okay, well, let me try that again. 
within a week's time, my 3 p.m. crash every afternoon. And that was, I don't know when when you were in practice, if you saw that, but my afternoon was the most packed time of my clinic. Mm. And so people would be pouring into my clinic and I was always wanting to take a nap. That went away after one week of intermittent fasting. So then I was like, oh my gosh, what else is there? And I just started playing with the principles and then I got obsessed with the science. Yeah. How intermittent was intermittent for you back then? Uh, It was about 13 to 15 hours. Oh, okay. And it was every day. I didn't know to do it to the cycle then. Gotcha. Yeah. So it wasn't like an aggressive fast. It was, yeah, 13 to 15 hours, which I think is a doable flow. Very doable. One of the best studies we have on women in fasting was women going through breast cancer treatment. If they came out of conventional, traditional breast cancer therapies like radiation and chemo, and they put a 13-hour fast in place, they had a 64% less reoccurrence of breast cancer compared to those that were didn't do the fast. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. That's every woman could do that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I just became obsessed with the science, and then I was doing it on myself. I, I kept, uh, I had a lot of patients at the time. I had a functional medicine clinic, and I had a lot of patients at the time that were trying to lose weight, m- mixed with thyroid problems, and I'd, I'd never seen anything work so well. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, unfortunately, at the time, my supplement sell- sales went down, <laughs> but that's okay because people were getting well by using their own bodies. Yeah, yeah. And then I just became obsessed. Yeah. So autophagy, I think, is this term that that you've explained well there, where you know you're essentially looking inward, recycling these old cells, getting yeah. rid of the 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 cells that are sort of old, hanging around these senescent cells. You clear yeah. them away, and then you create some brand spanking new ones. Yeah. There are some other elements of fasting that I find quite interesting as well. So you, you're giving your gut a rest. Yeah. Um, what other things are going on when you're in that fasting phase? Are there things that sort of pique your attention that you always like speak to to clients about? Yeah. So I think the easiest way to understand this, if you've never heard fasting, is that we have two energy systems that we will use. One is when glucose goes up, which is you eat food. It's often referred to as sugar. But by sugar, I think you and I both mean in this conversation, you know, it's just your glucose going up in your body. Um, And the other one is by burning fat. So I call it sugar burner, fat burner system. So when we go at least 8 to 12 hours, there's, it's a, there's a variable because we're all a little different. Without food, our body starts to switch over into the fat burner system. Once it goes over into fat burner system, what it does is it literally burns your own fat to make a ketone. And a ketone is, you can only get it. I mean, there's exogenous ketones, which is a whole other thing. But the, the main way you get it is by going without food. I don't think you can manipulate your diet a little bit, but that's the hardest way to do it. And when you get a ketone, it goes up into the brain and turns off hunger. This is mind blowing because this is why the more you fast, the easier it gets. Now let's just take that one principle. How many diets that you lose weight on, does it get easier with time? (laughs) I don't know any. So you get into this fasted state, you're burning fat, you're making ketones, the hunger goes down, the brain clarity goes up, but the longer you stay in that fat burning system, the body kicks into self-repair. 
So you start, the autophagy kicks in and the cells will start to uh, push out the bad ones, make the the ones that are kind of so-so, make them stronger. Uh, You get growth hormone going up. So when growth hormone goes up, you'll balance all other hormones out and growth hormone slows down aging. It burns fat. Your whole microbiome repairs, so all the bad bacteria will be sloughed off, and good. you create a new environment for good bacteria, so all the good food you put in there mm-hmm. can actually start to feed these bacteria. You, you reset your whole dopamine system, where, and you'll get new dopamine receptor sites that, that form, and, you, and if you stay in there long enough, you'll reset your whole immune system. We, I mean, during the pandemic, we should just put everybody on a fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like magic over there. Yeah, yeah. And the longer you stay, in the book, I, I lay out six different length fasts. The longer you stay, the more healing happens. And then you get your little dose of healing, and then you switch back to food. And the mm. way you're teaching food is like, yeah, now we pair like your teachings and, and how important food is with these six different level f- fasts. Mm. And we te- this is concept is called metabolic switching. You're going food, fasting, yeah. food, fasting. And now in both those states, you are healing. This is what I find quite refreshing about your approach, actually, because we've we've covered uh, ketogenic diets quite a bit on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've had a dietitian that does a lot of ketogenic diet therapies for um, treatment of refractory epilepsy, for example. Mm. We've interviewed parents. It's a pretty phenomenal diet. It's very very strict. It's hard to you stick know to. very very hard to, yeah. to stick to. And you know when you're treating children or patients who are experimenting it for a variety of reasons, whether it's chronic pain or uh, whatever it might be. You're on a very, very high fat diet mm-hmm. in a very limited protein and very limited carbohydrate diet. And that can have ramifications. You know, you can it can destroy your gut microbes. You're not giving them any substrate and any any sort of food to, to thrive on. Um, it can lead to kidney stones. It can lead to constipation. Low loads of issues. Your approach is sort of like a nice hybrid and blend of both. Yeah. It's like, let's get some of those ketones going here. Let's stress your body. Let's, you know, dip into some of those beneficial uh, impacts of fasting. But then let's also enjoy some of the carbohydrate-rich That's foods, right. good carbohydrates, yeah. all those whole foods, etc. later on where it's a lot more appropriate yeah. for you to, to examine those. So, it, uh, uh, th- and this is, you know, people just want like a plan to follow yeah. the entire time. And so it goes against that thinking, yeah. but over Overall, it's beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, it's so well said. I mean, here's the bottom line. There's a lot of good diets out there. Mm. there there's no one human diet. There's a lot of, op- of possibilities. And one of the things that I think we got wrong in the diet world is that there was a one-size-fits-all diet for everybody. And then if you take this to women, one of the challenges that we have with women is that to your point, like, just give me the one thing that's going to make my, my, you know, myself like feel good. But if I, if I, I can't give you that one thing because estrogen wants a specific way of eating and progesterone wants a specific way of eating and they're opposing. Yeah. So the beautiful part of that is that, okay, we need to take a lot. And I don't know if you found this in practice. I found so many people ate like a hundred foods and that was it. Yeah. Like, and they ate those foods over and over and over again. Yeah. 
Well, if yeah. you just look at the microbiome, that creates a monoculture. You're only feeding, you have trillions of bacteria in your gut. You're only feeding a small amount. So really what one of the big things about food for both men and women, we got to open up our food choices. Every time I go to a restaurant, I look at a menu and I'm like, what on here do I not eat? Mm. And I'm going to eat that mm. because I know that I'm going to feed a different set of bacteria. Totally. So we've got to be able to open up and enjoy food again. And we're not. We're, we're like in ruts or we or a lot of women with eating do- disorders are trying to control or mm. counting calories. But we should, if you want to control anything, control your blood sugar. Mm. Yeah. And then just open up your food sources. Yeah, totally. I, I love the list in the book, actually, of all the different diverse food sources that you can consume yeah. in different parts of your cycle. And, and we we're just talking, I, I just got back from um, uh, Penang in Malaysia, and their green section in the supermarket is vast. Oh. I'm like, there's all these different brassicas that I've barely seen in supermarkets here, like things like Kailan and Bok Choy and, you know, uh, all these weird and wonderful names, Damsiam, all these different things. And I'm just like, wow, this would be great. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was just grabbing them at the supermarket. I was cooking them in the Airbnb. I was trying to inject them with all these recipes that we're creating. So yeah. that that I, I, I completely get on board with. I guess one of the pushbacks that a lot of people have of fasting and you know the work of Sachin Pandu who's been on the podcast Walter Longo is some people try and explain the benefits of weight loss feeling better better skin etc etc of well that's just calorie restriction you know Mm. if you simply just do a calorie restrictive diet you know stick to that you'll get all these benefits Mm -hmm. so what's the big fuss about why is and I know (laughs) I know it's not that so why, why don't you explain to folks at home why can you not simply explain the benefits of fasting, particularly fasting like a girl, mm-hmm. through the lens of calorie restriction yeah. alone? It's a great, it's a great question. So hopefully everybody knows that ca- calorie restriction changes your set point. Have you talked about that? I don't on think here? people understand. We have talked about it with Nick Fuller, who does something called interval um weight loss which is where you go in a very not very low you go in a very slightly low calorie deficit and you plateau and then you do it again so you're working with your set point rather than like creating a a drastically different right but but so at least there's some variation we're back in variation exactly exactly. so so with a set point what happens is when you try to keep your calories low and then you exercise to put your calories high you change your set point so a good example would be like if you ate 1,500 calories in a day and you exercised and, and had an expense of 500 calories, your set point would be 1,000 calories. So your body needs that 1,000 calories every single day to keep where you are at, at, with your weight. But if you want to lose weight, now you got to get an, a set point lower than 1,000. If you eat more than 1,000, you're going to gain weight. So this is why calorie in, calorie out doesn't work because our set points, as they keep changing, then now we have to sort of match our behavior to it. With fasting, you're not changing your set point. You are changing when you eat. And when you, when you do open that eating window up, eat, eat, eat it. Like in, even in, in, the, in the book, I call it uh, ketobiotic. Mm. So even if you're doing the ketobiotic diet, I put the biotic piece to keto because what I'm saying is eat nature's carbs, eat fruits, eat vegetables, mix that with protein. 
and and let's just open up how the the types of food and the diversity of food that you're eating and use your fasting window to drive you into ketosis. Mm. So I I and and it's you burn fat when you're in ketosis. You're that's the only way to make a ketone is to burn fat. And once you burn fat, fat typically doesn't come back. But I could go on a calorie restriction diet and I could look great for two weeks, maybe a month, but then as soon as I go back to any old habit, I'm I'm going to be right back at that at gaining weight again. Yeah, and it's a it's a common complaint from people, uh, patients that I know, who have been on multiple different diets that are essentially variations of a calorie deficit diet, right? And are usually quite short term as well, whether it's sixty days or ninety days, however long it is. And then you just look at the trajectory of their weight, and you just notice it's trending upwards. That's right. And it's because your weight set point is changing. Yep. And when you go back to the same level of eating, even if you're eating the same calories after your your diet, whatever it mm-hmm. might be, because your weight set point is a lot lower, that's when you're going to gain more weight. And, yeah. and the, there's also you know the issues around losing protein, muscle mass, all that kind of oh, stuff yeah. when you're on these on these diets. The so. other thing I would say, this is a, maybe a good reframe for people to think about, is if you go back to this metabolic switching thing. Okay, when you eat. You're eating for your hormones, you're eating for your microbiome, you're eating for antioxidants and, and all the minerals, amino acids. Like there's a, there's a lot of ways, as you know, that you can use food to accelerate weight loss and, and just support your overall healthy body. Mm. When you switch over in, and you're fasting, that's where you're focused on weight loss. That's where you're burning glucose, you're burning hormones, you're bur- getting all the toxins out of you. And then you dip back and you're like, okay, now I'm over here and I'm, I'm nourishing my body and I'm, I'm giving it what, what it needs. And then boom, now I'm over here. Okay, now I'm losing weight. Whereas what we do right now is we go into all these toxic foods and all of the, these chemicals, we've pulled all the fat out of foods, we've manipulated food to be able to make it so that people would lose weight. The, the, we, the way to lose weight is to start to dip in and out of this fasting window as, and, and metabolically switch. That's how you lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Do you see? It's like I... It's crazy the way we've gone after weight loss. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's a huge like you know industry behind it. For and sure. I think people divert to the simplest path, and if someone is advertising, just follow this plan and it's you know do it that way. People gravitate to, towards that. What you're introducing is slightly more complex, to be to be frank. Mm-hmm. However, it's simple to do, but it is a lot more complex than the take this pill or drink this shake yep. or like you know follow this plan. But that's the the appropriate way of you know dipping into um, uh, fat burn and um, being respectful and uh, nurturing of your gut microbes and, and right. your overall health. That's right. So w- we've we've discussed the different phases, the menstrual cycle, we've understood a lot more about what fasting is and why there's benefits. I always get asked, okay, all right, I, I, I'm, I'm into it. I'm sold on fasting. I really want to do it. How long should yeah, I do? What yeah. kind of fasting are there? Because I've heard 16A, I've heard 5-2, I've heard water fasting, like alternate day fasting. What are these different, you know, things? Which one's more appropriate for me? Yep. And uh, when do I do it? And I, I guess we've already spoken about when when 
uh, a woman would do it. But yep. perhaps we could talk about the different types of fasting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And let's make it like really applicable so that people like I would love people to like take this podcast and then go to, into action. Hundred percent. So, so here's here's the way that I look at it. The first thing you do to be able to succeed at fasting is you change three food categories. One is good fats, not bad fats. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, people, your audience knows like. Bad fats make you insulin resistant. So let's get the corn oil, the cottonseed oil, the canola oils out, and let's put in more of the avocados, the MCTs, olive oil, things like that. Let's try to switch your fats. Second is let's get the refined carbohydrates out. So these are the processed breads, cakes, cookies, crackers, pastas. Like, just go a couple days. You can have potatoes. You can have fruit. Like, just let's just get the anything that man had to make is most likely highly refined. So let's go back to what nature made. And then the third ingredient change is let's get off all the chemicals. So this is your red dyes and your NutraSweets and like just start reading labels and get off those chemicals. Really smart three food changes that will make fasting so much easy, yeah. easier. Okay, and you might maybe do it for a couple of days. You don't have to do it a long period of time. Just like go, okay, I'm going to be really good with my food strategies for a couple of days. Yeah. Then the second step is now you, when you wake up in the morning, you push breakfast back half hour, an hour. You, it, you could push dinner up early too, but I find so many people snack at night <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that I always say push breakfast back. But what you're doing is you're going to start to look at your 24-hour day and you're going to look that there's an eating window. You're not eating all day. You're eating within a window. Yeah. So I want people to start shortening this window. Super practical, super easy. Everyone can do that right today. That totally could do it today. So usually you say push it back a half hour. And if that was easy, then the next day you push it back an, an, an hour. And you and if that's hard, okay, stay with the with the pushback of the hour, maybe for a couple of days till your body gets used to it. Then maybe three days go by. Okay, now can you push it back two hours? And what I'm doing is I'm slowly compressing that food all into one period of time. Now, when I open up my eating window, I eat. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and if I eat a meal and an hour later I'm hungry, I eat again. Because I know that I'm going to have this longer fasting window. Mm. I, today's a great example. We had a really nice meal last night. I haven't eaten anything yet today. And we, I probably won't eat anything until about 5 o'clock tonight. But that's because I had a, I've been, I ate a lot yesterday. I ate big lunch, big dinner, and so today I'm just going to give my body a little metabolic rest. I think that's a that's quite a a, a point that I want to hammer on actually because when you're hungry you eat. When you're in your eating window, yeah. you eat. oh, you're yeah. not restricting yourself. You're not restricting that. yourself. That's Thank right. you for pointing that out yeah. because a lot of women specifically start to try to restrict themselves. Absolutely, in yeah. that eating window. Yeah. when that's not. That's not what That's you're right. advocating for. And um, just so we can make a really clear point on this, for thyroid health, you need at least 1,200 to 1,500 calories mm. in every single day. So if you are, um, if you start to restrict in your eating window, you may damage your thyroid and then you'll have some problems. So mm-hmm. when, I, when you're going to eat, you're going to eat and yeah. you're going to eat healthy foods. Mm. So, so after you've started to move it, the first lev, the first l- lever is like thirteen to fifteen hours. Okay, most people can get there within two weeks pretty comfortably by doing what I said: make the food t- changes and slowly pushing your your um, your breakfast back until you get. Then all of a sudden you realize you're not eating breakfast, mm. so you're eating lunch. You're mm. doing lunch and dinner. So that's that's the first step in. 
Now, if you want to hang around in the fasting window a little longer, if you go to 17 hours, you start to hit autophagy. So you'll start to detox a little more. If you go 24 hours, you'll repair your gut. Uh, 36-hour fast is phenomenal for helping to people go after that stored insulin. 48 hours where the dopamine comes in and 72 is where we reset the whole immune system. So you can, you can go and you can hang, as you get comfortable with this, hang as long as you want in the fasting window, but eventually you're going to have to come back to food. Mm. And then when you come back to food, let's eat really smart, healthy food. Do you reckon there's some variation in those different modes of fasting? So you mentioned um, the immune fasting, dopamine mm-hmm. fasting, uh, gut reset fasting. I know the gut reset fast, I think uh, I've heard you say in the book, um, Reggie said in the book, that uh, that, come out, that came out of some research looking at... Yeah, um, MIT. So it was interesting. So MIT did, a, did it on mice, which is always interesting because, you know, the hours in fasting in a mouse may be different than a human, but mm. I always say it gets us in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. It gives us some sense. So at 24 hours, what they found is that there was a, a reboot of intestinal stem cells. As intestinal stem cells go in and repair the inner lining of the gut, and they do three things. It gets rid of the bad bacteria. It changes, you know, the mucosal lining of the gut is like a thin saran wrap, like the, like very, very thin. And so like a leaky gut kind of situation where there's holes in that saran wrap and, and toxins are getting into the bloodstream, tw- one 24-hour fast starts to repair that. Mm. And then there's another interesting concept I found called geographical relocation, yeah. where the microbes sit in the gut and they clump together. And when they're clumped together, they can't absorb as many nutrients out of the food. Huh. But after a 24-hour fast, as these intestinal stem cells come in, those start to distribute out and spread out so that you can actually get more nutrients out of your food. Oh, interesting. Wow. So I, I like the 24-hour fast. Ideally, once you start to fast, if you could do it once a week, that's great. Mm. But at least once a month to just keep resetting that the your gut so you actually get the nutrients out of your food that you are deserve to get. Gotcha. And you wouldn't do that 24-hour fast or any fast in that uh, nurturing phase. That's right. Is that correct? That's right. right. Gotcha. Yeah, you see, see how quickly you got it? <laughs> I'm getting it. That's, I'm getting that's, it. You just wouldn't do it. If you were a woman, you wouldn't do it in, an, in, a nurture, in the nurture window. I had uh, So my old boss uh, in um, A&E, uh, you guys call it ER, um, are... I, I, I feel like I was in some way uh, responsible for his sort of interest in fasting a oh, couple beautiful. of years ago. And uh, I remember his fasting days, he'd walk around with like a cup of coffee, um, which I, I believe you and, you're okay with, yeah. the, the black coffee, yeah. no milk or whatever. And he just used to come up to me during the day and like, I'm fasting and I feel like I'm on fire. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. loved it. He would do it like once every two weeks or so. Yeah. And he would, it, it would be his most productive days apparently. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, um, when I first learned about fasting, I used to do these um, talks to my patient base and we would always do it a big one in January. Uh-huh. And I was like, I have to bring fasting to them, but they're going to think I'm crazy because I've been talking about food for so long. They're going to go, wait, I thought food was the medicine. (laughs) Now you're saying no food is the medicine? So I went on a five-day water fast. Oh, wow. And I gave the talk on the fifth day. Oh, wow. And what I did is I I started to show the science. Walter Longo was the one at the time who was showing Mm. the 72-hour fast. And I was showing them all the science and I could see their look on their face. And, and I knew so many of their objections. 
And then I revealed to them, I'm like, do I look like I'm tired right <laughs> now? I'm like, it's, it was on a Saturday. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, I haven't eaten food since last, uh, since Monday. And they were like, what? And it got every, I'm like, do I look like I'm going to pass out? <laughs> I'm like, I have ketones. It was like the best talk I ever gave. So yeah, it supercharges you. Mm. What, what do you make of the, because um, Vortolongo's program is fasting mimicking, right? Yeah. And so it's a very, just for those who uh, haven't listened to those couple of podcasts that I've done with him, um, that, that's where it, it essentially mimics the process of fasting. So the increasing ketones, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, do, do you advocate for that for people who are uh, like, don't want to do the whole yeah. like no eating I, for... I i so it's fast making diet the prolon is a turnkey system mm. it's based off of low calories so he figured out if you keep calories and nutrients down mm. um that you could still stimulate stem cell production and a bit of autophagy uh it's a five-day program it comes in this beautiful box have you yeah tried it? yeah yeah <laughs> i've had a couple of those <laughs> yeah yeah and um i think it's way harder than a water fast <laughs> i'm not gonna lie because you don't you never get your glucose down enough to fully like get that that wash of ketones that mm. like c- kills hunger mm. you don't ever get it low enough to do that and you're you know the food comes in prepackaged stuff yeah. i don't really like that mm. it's not organic mm. um and so and and you're kind of dribbling your eating throughout the day mm. what we chose to do is turn it into like an omad experience right so yeah, it's yeah. just one meal a day eat all the prolon in one meal a day right okay um, yeah, so yeah. i just and it, it it's just a little harder it's yeah. so funny you would think it would be easier but it's harder yeah yeah you can understand it when you think about it from the perspective of the ketone production what that does to your brain how that inhibits right. satiety and all the rest of it so uh um yeah, I, I I can I can see it from that point of view. I haven't come across anything that looks at the ketone levels actually when people are doing the prolon yeah. actually, um, but that would be really interesting. To... Well, I I can tell you, um, like in a five day water fast, I'll get up to like ketones of like, you know, six point oh, five point oh, six point oh. Oh wow. Yeah, in a in a prolon, I'll get to about two point five. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, everybody, you know, we have we live in a culture of more is better. Mm. When you're talking ketones, more isn't no, necessarily no, there's better. there's a window. Yeah, yeah you yeah. just want to get into ketosis. So, yeah. th- so I definitely got less ketones, but I was in ketosis. Yeah, yeah, and just just for the listeners as well, like yeah, nutritional ketosis is very different to the right. ketoacidosis that leads people into hospitals, and we have to give them fluids and all the rest of it. That's, That's more right. of a diabetic, uh, a diabetic uh, complication. Yeah. Um, okay, so with them. Um, uh, those different modes of fasting um, you have the gut reset that we talked about um, what if like and I've had this experience with uh, patients but also being very honest myself uh, I I struggle to go let's say I struggle to go like nine ten hours without eating like I, I, I can't fit like I can't even think of or fathom not having any food. What kind of suggestions would you have for people who fit that criteria or that mindset to coax them into like, you know, eating according to this way? I mean, pushing back the breakfast is definitely one thing, but maybe just getting them over the hurdle even more so. Yeah. So in the book, I call it a building a fasting lifestyle Mm. because, again, this is not a diet. And so I want you to figure out how to integrate it into your life. And... So there's four four steps in building a fasting lifestyle. The first is you got to vary your fasts. So to your point, what if what if I'm, you know, what if, you know, I can only go 8 hours? Awesome. So go 8 hours 
And then maybe the next day you go eight hours and 20 minutes. And then maybe the next day you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not even going to try this fasting thing this time. Mm. I'm going to bring it down to seven hours. I'm just going to eat when I get up. And then mm. maybe the next day you, you oh, wait, I, I feel like fasting. I'm going to go nine hours. That's okay. Mm. You don't have to come out of the gates and be perfect at it. I just want you to dabble with it. And the mindset is this compressed eating window. Instead of thinking, what do my taste buds want every morning? Instead of thinking, I got to eat to speed up my metabolism. I want people to start thinking, is my eating window open or is my eating window closed? So if it's closed, you're not eating. Yeah. So start just thinking and maybe you're eating, maybe your fasting window is only 10 hours and leaves 14 hours for eating. The studies show that, you know, an eight to 10 hour eating window where you eat all your food in eight to 10 hours can actually make you metabolically immune from a poor diet. Mm. And what I mean by that is, it, and this one blew me away, is that you could go and eat at, at, at fast food all day long with the bad oils, the, the bad bread, all of that. I'm not recommending no, you do that. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you eat that fast food in eight to 10 hour eating window, you will, your metabolic markers all have time to reset themselves. Mm. So don't, even though I, you know, we love Volter Longo, we love the three-day water fast, um, even though you want to reset your dopamine, it doesn't have to be this huge thing. And I'll, I'll give you the, the, my favorite example happened with a man that came to me last year. He was about 300 pounds. And um, I was at a, a retreat and um, where I was helping people fast. And he didn't, I, you know, I never pushed fasting on anybody. And he came up to me and you could see he was visibly obese. And it was on the last day and he said, I need your help. And I was like, oh my God, how can I, yes, how can I help you? What do you think your biggest problem with food is? And he's like, I'm food addicted. And I'm like, okay, what are you addicted to? He's like, I drink 12 sodas a day. Oh, wow. And, and he's like, but I also eat buffalo wings. And he like went through all, and I was like, wow, okay, fast food. I go through the fast food drive through like once or twice a, a day. Like he was like full on typical Western diet. And so I said to him, okay, so how about you just take that Western diet? And I just want to put it in one eating window. In the next month, do you think you could go from your eight-hour fasting, you know, you're fasting when you sleep, to fasting, you know, at least 15 hours? So we got six hours that we got to get you through. Mm. And once you open up your eating window, eat whatever you want. You can drink all your sodas in that time period. You can eat whatever you want. So he did that. And, he, and, and I said, try that for a month and then come back. Within a mo month after I, we had that conversation, first month, he had lost 13 pounds. Yeah. Eating horrible food. Horrible food, yeah. <laughs> and drinking 12 sodas in this time period. Yeah. So then I said to him, well, how about you um, drink soda only when you're at work? You can't drink it at home. So we started to get after the, the soda. And he was like, okay. I said, just stay with your 15 hours of fasting. I just want to see if we can move the needle on the sodas. And so, um, so that's what he did. He didn't have soda in the house anymore. Second month, nine pounds. Third month, I said to him, okay, now let's add protein in. I still haven't taken much away from him. We're still at 15 hours of fasting. And so I'm like, I just want you to add protein in. So third month, added protein in, sodas at, at work, fasting 15 hours, another 14 pounds. Mm. 
We did this month after month after month. That was a year ago. He's down 150 pounds. That's incredible. That's incredible. And all of his food choices have changed now. He's off a soda. And it was really fun because the first time I chatted with him, I asked him what his why was. Because as you know, if you don't have a strong why, it's hard to make health choices. And he said, I have to stay alive for my family. Yeah. And then I talked to him about a month ago. And I said, okay, what's your why now? And he said... I want to take a Christmas card picture with my family. Oh, gosh. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, the simple things of enjoying living in your body. Like, I just want to take a a Christmas card photo with my family. Like, that's the power of what this tool can do. Mm. And it doesn't cost anybody any money. Mm. And we're watching it over and over and over again. It is a different door into food addiction. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I, I thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah. I mean, it's going to touch so many people. And I feel that that illustrates the way in for health for a lot of people. And it's interesting you you mentioned that story because one of the strategies that I remember using years ago in clinic was was very similar to that. It was eat whatever you want, but just keep the window just yeah. within that sort of 12-hour time period, I think Perfect. I used to say at the start. Because that little like nugget of motivation that gets people through a hurdle and they see a result, whether yeah. it's small or however large it is, is the tra- gives them the trajectory yeah. going forward. And then tying that with a motivational trigger with actual yeah. like a goal, like it's it's magic. And it, you know, that motivational interviewing techniques that I'm sure that you use in every client is is it's so powerful. Well, you know, so many people ask me like why are we still talking about fasting? Like I, I get like usually around Christmas time, I get like the news stories that they're like, hey, we want to talk about intermittent fasting. And then the first question is they're like, why are we still talking about this? I'm like, because it's not a fad. People are getting results. Absolutely. So, and it's free. Mm. Everybody can do it. And it's time efficient. So I think that it, and it's a, it, it, and it gets people a result. This mm. is why the other thing that everybody, my publisher, my agent keeps going, my God, this book is doing so well. And I keep saying it's because it's our natural state and the way we're supposed to be. And so for the first time, people are losing weight mm. permanently. It is falling off of them because they tapped into a whole energy system they didn't even know was there. And if we could, we could probably spend hundreds of years of arguing about food. And, and I, you know, I love what you're up to because God, we keep turning food into just plastic (laughs) and people, and I hear so many people like, oh, well, I don't have time to eat, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, let's start with fasting. Let's change your microbiome. Let's get you dropping weight. And now we can start to work with your food. It's a different door in. And my favorite quote that I discuss, I, I found in, in this guy and talking to this guy and helping him lose weight is, I really realized that you don't need motivation to lose weight. You need momentum. Mm. So if you have momentum, you will the motivation will follow. But the minute we go on a diet and we don't get results quick, the momentum stops. Absolutely. And then the moment motivation follows. Absolutely. So we've got to look at this from a different angle. And once we do, it actually frees like all the food addiction, all the food, um, the, you know, eating disorders. I believe we can change it all and we can bring people back in love with food. 
But we use fasting for weight loss. We use fasting for brain healing. We use fasting for, for cleaning up the hormonal system. And then we eat good food and we try to eat as much of a variety as we can. And I, then I think we've solved the health problem. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that, it's really. It's as simple <laughs> as that. Right? Can't, can't you see it from your food lens? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad you mentioned addic- food addiction because I think that y- that was a bit of a taboo term. Like people, you know, couldn't see how you could be addicted to food. I mean, we all need food, you know. It's yeah. not like people are breaking windows so they can get some money so they can go <laughs> yeah, to right. get a hamburger. Do you know what I mean? But we understand what happens with the dopamine pathways. Food addiction is a real concept. Yeah. It's something that neurobiologists are all uh, looking at with a lot more detail. And you mentioned it with clients and you can definitely see signals of food addiction within people. One of the fasting regimes you talk about is a dopamine fast. Yeah. I wonder if we could dive into that a little, in a little bit more detail because I think that's that's an interesting concept that perhaps needs a little bit more airtime. Oh, it's so good. It's such a good one. Mm. Um, so I found this in my research and then experimented with my my following, which is really fun because you get to like try things out. And oh, go you get have, real-time feedback. Yeah. I mean, I've seen those comments on the YouTube channel and they are phenomenal. You know, the, really the, the results people can have. Yeah. Absolutely. So the research is that people who are obese actually are dopamine resistant. So just like we become insulin resistant, we can become dopamine resistant. And But it's a little bit different. And the way it works is that people who are obese often find they're not getting the same enjoyment out of their food. So they have to eat more of the bad food, eat more food to get the same dopamine response that somebody else who's not obese or has a food addiction. Mm. And I know you could have a food addiction and not be obese. I want to be sensitive to those terms. But the the study was done on, on obesity. So think about that for a moment. I, I, I hope that anybody who's struggling to lose weight, that that gives them compassion for themselves. Because when you eat, you may not be getting the dopamine high today that you got two years ago. Because the way that insulin resistance works is it starts to block. And the more you've accessed that that dopamine surge, you're just not getting the same dopamine experience. So the dopamine system needs to be cleaned up for you to enjoy food differently. So I tested this out because the, what the article showed was... 48 hours without food. And this was done, this was actually done on humans and it was done in a hospital setting. And what they found is after 48 hours of, of, um, of no food, that new dopamine receptor sites emerged. So there's two, many different types of dopamine receptor sites, but the D2 uh, receptor sites, the body the, and the brain made more of them mm. and the whole dopamine system gets a reboot. Okay, let's think about why the body would do this for a moment. Mm. If you're in disbelief on this, you're 48 hours without food. You need to survive. So you better be motivated to go find food. Yeah. So our body actually reboots the dopamine system so that we have an increased motivation to be able to go find food. And so when I started to realize that, what I did is I started taking people who told me, I can't get off of sugar. I can't, I can't seem to unstick my weight. Um, I, nothing I do is making me happy. We took those group of people that appeared to have a dopamine-saturated mm. sort of uh, ex- experience with life. We put them on a 48-hour fast, 
And sure enough, when they came back into food, of course they appreciated it more because they were off of food for 48 hours. But that appreciation, that love for food continued for weeks after that. And the mood people with mood disorders actually noticed that they were much happier. They're getting a lot more enjoyment in life. That's so interesting because I was literally just thinking about what about people with mood disorders and whether a fasting protocol could, uh, you know, theoretically have an impact if you are increasing the number of those D2 receptors. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's such a subtle shift mm. that can have such a massive impact. And, and you know, think about it. Um, I was just telling my husband the other day, we, bu- we just bought a new car. And the first two weeks I got in the new car, I was dopamine, <laughs> dopamine, <laughs> dopamine. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I love this car. And then about four weeks in, I was like, yeah, I like this car. <laughs> and now we're on, uh, you know, on, we're four weeks away from our home. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, when I go back to that car and I get in it, I'm going to have a dopamine research. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing that can <laughs> yeah. happen with food. But with mood disorders, it there is a dopamine uh, challenge because we're dopamine saturated. Our phones are giving us dopamine. If you just think it like the way that we can sit on our couch and watch a series over and over. We don't have even have to wait till the next week. We can binge watch a series. Yeah. We can pick up our phone and we can order food and have it delivered to our front door. We can chat with our friends. We can get likes and follows. And we are just being flooded with dopamine. So a large part of the mental health challenge is that we're not taking a dopamine rest. Yeah. Yeah. So if you just go 48 hours without food, and then if you want to put your phone down during that time, if you want to like go into a spiritual place and go really inner, you have really reset your whole dopamine system. And it's not just temporary because you have these new receptor sites that form. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, this whole concept of dopamine fasting um, that Andrew Huberman did a podcast on is made quite popular in the mainstream. Yeah is so applicable to different areas and that that concept of uh hedonic adaptation i think it's called whereby you know you have a new phone or a new car or whatever and you have that like absolute hedonism the first time you you use it or you move into a new place or whatever and then you gradually adapt you adapt right. you adapt you adapt yeah and i you know i'm constantly trying to like pull out what that hedonic adaptation looks like in my own life you know yeah. the fact that i complain about my phone for example sometimes when it crashes yeah you know i have to always remind myself to be grateful for the fact that i've got the phone that's right because you know it's allowed me access to people like yourself you know watching tv on the move and all that yeah. kind of stuff so it's almost like periods of fasting literal fasting and fasting from the gadgets and all the things that give us pleasure is something that we all need to enjoy yeah. uh, and, and endure to sort of reignite that appreciation yeah it's such a it's such a good point and it, and it kind of ties into a lot of the themes here which is rest and recovery yeah we, are, we have too much coming at us yeah so it's in the rest and the recovery that may be torturous because you're going to want that dopamine f- addiction but in the rest and recovery we actually heal ourselves and so whether it's a rest and recovery from food or for the phone or from TV or from your new car, mm. like it's where we heal. We can't heal in the chaos and we can't heal in the dopamine, really. Mm. Do- the, to me, the way I look at it from a health lens is dopamine is that molecule that will get you going on the health path. 
but then you're going to need to put her aside <laughs> and start to like rely on serotonin a little bit more or some of the other neurochemicals because dopamine is seductive. The minute you get what you want, it says, okay, let's go get more. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard you say the dopamine is the molecule of more, not enough. Yeah, it's not the molecule <laughs> of enough. Yeah. It, it, and I, I mean, I'm like you, I, ta- I constantly check my dopamine and go, okay, if I can't sit here without looking at my phone or enjoying nature, it's time to really train myself to reset 100%. dopamine. Yeah. Have you read that book um, by Michael Easter, The Comfort Crisis? Oh, no. Oh, you should definitely read it. I think you'd really appreciate it given this uh, interaction. Um, Michael Easter is a journalist who's written about how uh, we're, we're not enjoying uh, or engaging with boredom enough in today's Mm. world and so he does these experiments where he goes hunting and he's like out in nature for three or four days and he's like it's the most boring experience because you're literally just like waiting in the bushes you know for something that's coming around the corner or like you know an antelope or whatever they're trying to hunt and if you think about it on a day-to-day basis uh we're never really not being entertained. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm, you know, watching a TV show. I'm doing computer work. I'm, you know, when I'm walking even, sometimes I'm not even present. I'm I'm doing my to-do list. And I've tried to, and and, and actually Johan Hari, who's also been on the podcast, um, uh, has talked about this in one of his books uh, focused on technology Mm. and how technology has basically eroded our boredom, basically. And in, enjoying boredom is something that I'm trying to do a lot more consciously yep. and combining that with gratitude. It's like, a, it's almost like the antidote to dopamine, the molecule of more. It's yep. the, these are the molecules of enough. That's these right. Are, yeah. That's right. And then you, and then you'll get dopamine in the boredom. Exactly. Exactly. You reset those <laughs> yeah. dopamines. Yeah. One of my favorite, um, uh, women that I met last year was Sarah Blakely. Oh, brilliant. Really? Is? Oh, yeah. she's phenomenal. Yeah. She's I'm a big fan. Of yeah, hers. I am too. And uh, I'm actually a part of a mentorship group. Her husband had hired me to teach him fasting. Oh, amazing. And so got to know him, Jesse Itzler. He's amazing onto his own self. He's a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. So he gathered a bunch of us and brought Sarah. And so What Sarah, a power couple, oh, by the way. <laughs> well, that is a proper couple. power couple. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he said that she, when he met Sarah, she was the first CEO that he had ever met that took so much time off really and she and he's like i was shocked i was like you're going on vacation again what do you mean you don't work friday afternoons what's happening and she said that's where i create and so then she went in to say when she takes her afternoons off what she does is she's like i sit kind of like the comfort crisis i sit on my on my in my backyard i sit somewhere and i look out and i just let my mind wander amazing and I think there's something about the wandering mind. It's like when we're on socials, we're actually trying to stuff mm. information in. But when you're just staring at nature or you're just hanging out, the mind can wander and you have no idea where it's going to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really trying to lean into the mind wandering because you're right. As soon as I pick up my phone, the interaction is, okay, I got to go to an app. And then I go to, you know, uh, social media app or whatever. And then you're just being bombarded with this junk food diet of information. And it kills that creativity in your mind. And, you know, being in a creative sphere, uh, a field as we both are, you have to protect that oh my as much as possible. And when when you do like uh, lean into mind wandering, thoughts just appear. I have to, I have to get like a pen and paper and write them yeah. down. It's pretty, particularly when you're like writing a new book and you yeah. know. Yeah, 
Yeah, and 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 if you don't grab them and write them down, they go away. <laughs> and then, in fact, the the part that you said about um, the next book that I want to write that actually came to me a month ago in a massage. Really? Yeah, like literally out of nowhere. I wasn't even thinking about it, and then boom! I was like, I have to write a book that brings men into the conversation. Brilliant. I and then I'm that. like, okay, but we have to help women understand herself. So how do I do that? So, and then all of a sudden it was like, the whole book came through me through the totally, massage. Totally. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mo Gowda, he's a, he's a friend of the pod and um, he's the Google CFO. He's written mm. a fantastic book about solving, solving for mm. happiness. He, um, he writes prolifically in the morning. He writes oh, yeah, like that's my one or 2000 yeah. words every single day. He'll just write, 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 write. Yeah. And uh, I haven't actually... I haven't um, dived into that myself, but I, I definitely want to do that because that that morning time is a very protected, creative time for myself. I'm not too sure if it's the same oh, for you as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, it's the but that's when I do time. my best work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you look at the brain waves, there's a reason for that. So, and I learned this from Bruce Lipton. Okay. I brought him on my podcast, and and we were talking about affirmations. Okay. And I was like, okay, do affirmations work? And he said, they work if you do them in the right part of brain of where your brain wave is at. So his first thing was when you go to sleep, you're going like right now we're in beta brain wave. When you go to sleep, you start to go into alpha, then you go into theta, mm. then you go into delta. And so you go back into the sleepier brain wave. When you're in alpha and theta is when you can reprogram your brain. So he's a believer like affirmations should be like you should listen to them as you're going to bed mm. or like Joe Dispenza taught us mm. that create your day kind of thing. So like one one habit I learned or I, I changed after talking to him is instead of getting into bed and, and thinking about all the things that went wrong that day and all the things I have to do the next day. I've trained my brain to start to see, think about all the wonderful things that happened that day and obsess on that as I'm going into this this deep the state. But the same thing happens when you come out of sleep. You go from delta to theta to alpha to beta. So my best writing time, if I can do it, is get up at like early, like four or five in the morning and I'll go from my bed into my office. And before my brain is even in beta state, I just start seeing what pours yeah, out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm going to put that into action, you know. <laughs> it, 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 and and by, by like noon, forget it. I can never write in the afternoon. Yeah. It's yeah, all yeah. in the morning. Then maybe I'll go get a cup of coffee and I'll come back. But even I'm still maybe in low beta at that point. It's when you're in stress, you're in high beta. And when we're in stress, we're working from our amygdala. And so we're in this concentrated part of our, our brain and we don't access our prefrontal cortex. So that prefrontal cortex is where creativity mm. happens. So the name of the creative game is never become stressed. And then try to get yourself, keep yourself in that kind of woozy brain state because you're going to get downloads. Yeah. Yeah. Mindy, I could literally speak to you for so long. You're just full of gold. And yeah, <laughs> I feel like we could talk you. like way beyond fasting as well. I'd be remiss if we wouldn't just briefly touch on who fasting uh, may not be for. Mm. I know you've talked about this in the book, yeah. particularly, you know, if you have a history of eating disorder, you have to work with a practitioner. Mm -hmm. What? Wh who, who are the other sort of populations that you would think, you know, perhaps fasting or the techniques that you teach in the book may not be appropriate for. Yeah, thank you for asking that because I do, we always want people to be safe. For sure. So um, the the first person I always say is pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, ever. It's not you need to feed your baby. That is, that is not the time. The second time on that same vein 
is if you're nursing, mm -hmm. you just don't want to fast more than 15 hours because the, as you go into later, fa longer fast, you start detoxing mm -hmm. and all those toxins will go into your breast milk. You've mentioned detoxing a couple of times here. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could just provide a little bit more clarity yeah. on exactly what you mean. So I look at autophagy as a bit of a detox. Okay. So think of it from the cellular perspective. What ends up happening is all of a sudden the, the inside of the cell senses that there's no glucose coming in and there's no nutrients coming in. So it stimulates autophagy. A stimulating autophagy is like turning a doctor on inside your inside your cells. And all of a sudden, the doctor looks around and says, hey, that cellular part's injured. Hey, there's a virus and a bacteria over there. We need to push them out. Sometimes that doctor inside that cell will go, hey, this is, gonna, this is a cancer cell. This, cancer, this cell's going rogue. Or this cell has a ton of heavy metals in it. And so it will kill the cell. And it's a process called apoptosis. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of cellular death that can happen in the longer fasts. That's what I mean by detox. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then that has to go into your bloodstream or in, you know, it, it gets recycled out of you. And for nursing women, it's going to go into your breast milk. And mm -hmm. that's what we don't want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, yeah, that, that would provide a bit more clarity, I think. And, um, you know, aside for um, nursing women and pregnancy, anyone else? Uh, eating disorders, I really recommend that you that you work with somebody. I have seen this change people's relationship to food over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, but you just really need somebody skilled to do it with you. For sure. Um, I would say adrenal fatigue, slowly we see it overturned adrenal fatigue. So just be gentle. You know, maybe it's going to take you – you know, three to six months to build a fasting lifestyle. So just be very gentle with it. Um, the most common one that everybody goes, can diabetics do this? Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> who this is for. Yeah, yeah. So, but again, if you're both type one and type two, I'd love for you to involve your doctor in it. Um, thyroid problems is another one that people ask. And I always say when you eat, you got to get enough cal uh, calories. We talked about that. For sure, yeah. And, and then maybe the last thing to really emphasize that I think is so important is that you can't make anybody fast. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of parents that say, oh, can my teenage daughter do it? Can my, or I get a lot of women that will say, oh, I want my husband to fast. It, it's a personal journey. Mm. And if we, we start to tell everybody else to fast, it, then A, we take their power away. And what I love about fasting is that when you do it and you get the result, the only person that gets the credit is you. Yeah. Don't give, like, people want to give me the credit. I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's not my credit to be taken. I'm just teaching you a tool that nobody taught you. So when you get that result, look yourself in the mirror and thank yourself because you did it for you. Yeah. But we can't push it on other people. We have to be very mindful that people have to ask for it. I, I've heard you talk, say that um, fasting can lead to a testosterone boost as well. Um, are there studies looking at that? Like yes, th th it's a great question. So it's been the most conflicting of all of the hormones. So years ago, we, we didn't have any – I started looking at this about 10 years ago. And we didn't have any studies on – testosterone and fasting. But we did have studies on growth hormone. And what growth hormone increases by 2000% when you fast for 24 hours. 
So we started to make correlations to, okay, well, what we know, there are other studies that say when growth hormone goes up, so does testosterone. Mm -hmm. So do all the other hormones. Growth hormone will pull all the other hormones into a balanced position. Now, what we have to remember about hormones is balance is key. So we can get really sucked into the percentage increase Mm -hmm. in hormones, but all we're asking to do is to bring these hormones back into balance. So if you want more testosterone, the name of the game isn't get as much testosterone as you want. The name of the game is let's bring it back into balance. So with that in mind, the most current studies that we're seeing like within the last year, Mm -hmm. so it's very, very current, um, is that in some cases... It elevates testosterone, certain fasts. Mm. In some cases, it decreases testosterone, right. certain fasts. Okay, well, why is that? So I would uh, hormonally unpack that and say, if testosterone is being decreased, I think it's decreases because you've got a stressed out person. And so when stress exists, all of those hormones are going to go down mm. and fasting is a bit of a cortisol burst. Yeah, yeah. If it increased, and the studies that saw it increased, you probably were dealing with a really metabolically unhealthy human that brought the metabolic system back into balance, which all of a sudden now brought brought, brought testosterone back into huh, balance. That's a, yeah, that's really interesting. So I think of all the hormones, it has the most nuance. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, you know, if you are a quote unquote healthy person engaging in fasting, whether that would have the same impact on testosterone level, I guess, as an individual. Yeah. And and the same thing can be with estrogen. And this is, I'm so happy you asked me this because <laughs> in Stephen's podcast, I quoted 1300% increase in testosterone and all the bodybuilding guys came after me. <laughs> Really? Um, and I was like, okay, come on, let's understand hormones. The name of the game is not to get more is better. Mm. Estrogen's a great example of this. Um, there's such a thing as estrogen dominance. Mm. Okay, and that's actually leading to breast cancer, but it's estrogen dominance of the wrong estrogen, a synthetic estrogen, not your own natural estrogen. So when you fast, you bring your estrogen system back into balance and you start to heal all the organs that can break down synthetic estrogen and detoxify it, which is why you see the study of 30% of those women uh, um, who had breast cancer getting a 64% increase or, or less reoccurrence because they yeah. balance their estrogen system out by fasting. Mm. But then we come over here to the the menopausal woman, and she says, "Hey, wait a second. Estrogen goes low. Yeah, I don't. I I don't want to balance. I want. I don't. I need more estrogen. Okay, let's have her fast. We clean up her estrogen system, and now all of a sudden you bring it. You bring estrogen back into balance. You go to the PCOS studies, and you go, oh my God, what the PCOS and fasting studies." We see it balances insulin and it brings testosterone down in those women. So you, could you see where I'm yeah, going with yeah. this? Yeah, it's it's completely nuanced as yeah. to according to which patient, which person That's right. is engaging in the practice. That's right. Which is why we cannot look for absolutes when it comes to hormones. It has to always be in, deba- in balance. So if you are a bodybuilding man, and you've listened to the podcast this, this long, I want to applaud you. Um, but it's not like you're going to fast and all of a sudden grow muscle in this increased amount. 
Um, if you are a PCOS woman and you fast, you're going to clean that system up and you're not going to have as many symptoms and it will bring both insulin and testosterone down. Yeah. If you are a menopausal woman, you're going to maximize your age-appropriate estrogen. Because it's not like a supplement you're taking, it's a healing state you're putting your body in and the body figures it out. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is such, I, I've never said that on any podcast. <laughs> Thank you for asking it because people are grabbing these one-liners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're looking for absolutes, but you can't find absolutes when it comes to hormones. Uh, 100%. I mean, that's why I love the medium of podcasting because you can introduce nuance into it. But unfortunately, yeah. you know, people will look at clips and stuff and then just take that as gospel. That's right. And apply that to every scenario. Whereas, you know, you know as a practitioner, I know as a practitioner, that the treatment is not going to be uniform for every single person that walks into your office. It's going to be tailored. It's going to be personalized. And I think the beauty of this is, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to listen to this podcast and hopefully they're going to take action. They're going to be more, more informed about how they can be the uh, designers and the, you know, uh, the, the proprietors of their own health. Yeah. And that, that for me, I think is super empowering. It's, yeah, it, it, it's and awesome. To that point, when you look at how broken the healthcare system is, you we have to stop giving our power away. Mm. Like stop giving it away to the doctor, giving it to the supplement, to the medication, to the, the fitness guru you followed on Instagram. Like stop giving it away. Start taking it back. And fasting's the, one of the rare tools that I see that you can just totally transform your health and only you did it. Yeah, 100%. It, it's, you know, it's a new model of healthcare in my mind. You know, when I work in the NHS and A&E and stuff, we, we are practicing a really good level of quality of, of medicine. You know, we are prescribing antibiotics, we're, you know, fixing bones, we're, you know, performing these interventional um, uh, cardiology uh, interventions, all, all the rest of it, which is fantastic. However, when we're treating a new paradigm of disease, mm -hmm. it requires empowering the individual to make yep. those healthy changes, to be yep. more metabolically healthy. That's how you get, you know, homeostasis in your body. And that's how we reduce the tidal wave of chronic disease that that's right. otherwise would fall at the doors of, yeah. you know, A&E, which are not equipped to, to deal with how to treat it. Um, I'm going to end with some quick fire things because yeah, I feel like we're going to go on loads of different going. tangents no, I'm here. Yeah, it as well. Totally. So uh, but we've only got another yeah. uh, like 20 minutes or so. So quick fire. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's going to go quick fire because they're probably <laughs> going to be like really, um, really nuanced questions again. Evening and morning routines to help burn belly fat. Ah, okay. So belly fat, it's two hormones. Uh -huh. It's cortisol and it's, and, and for women and well, even men, it's estrogen. Mm -hmm. So it's where, think of your belly fat. If it's growing, it's where hormones are being stored. So with that in mind, when we look at morning and evening, we got to sync you back up to your circadian rhythm. So make sure that you're getting up with the sunlight, you're mm -hmm. seeing sunlight in the morning, in the day, in the middle of the day. And at night you're getting out into the sun like sunset great so sync your whole i have a book called the menopause reset and yes. i put a whole chapter in there on how to resync your circadian rhythm epic uh if i fast will i lose muscle mass i love this one so, <laughs> so uh you it will appear as if your muscles are shrinking while you're in the fast but what's happening is sugar stored sugar is being released out of the muscle into your bloodstream so it's cleaning that muscle up. If you add protein, the first meal you go back into is protein, you build that muscle strong again. 
So one of the greatest fasting hacks is work out in a fasted state. Let's really dump all that glucose out of the out of the muscle and then go home and power up on protein. So you stimulate a process known as mTOR mm -hmm. that actually builds that muscle strong again. So it it will feel like it's shrinking, but it's not. Mm. And then I always so on this one, always point out that when you go to work out, what you're doing is you're breaking muscle down to build it stronger. When you're yeah. fasting, you're breaking muscle down in a different way so that you can now use food to build it stronger. Mm. Supplements. Can I take supplements when I'm fasting? Uh, <laughs> shorter fasts. It's a great question. Shorter uh -huh. fasts, under 24 hours, uh -huh. yes. Okay. Longer fasts, no. Mm. And here's why. The longer you go, the more you're honoring the wisdom of your body. And I really feel like the more external influences we put in, the more we're trying to manipulate that inner intelligence. After 24 hours, just, just see what your miraculous body can do. Mm. So don't manipulate it with supplements. Now, if you have medications, you're going to have to take, take it. Um, but with supplements, you'll be fine for two days without it. Okay, great. Look, I, with the, so many topics that we haven't touched on, I wanted to go into a little bit more detail on um, the menopause, fasting in women over 50, for example, fasting in other specific contexts, but like, we'll have to do that on a yeah. day. And you've got tons of information on your, on your channel. Um, uh, but I just wanted to commend you on like the amount of information you put out there over the last mm. few years. You know, I think I, I heard from your husband, uh, it's over 2000 videos now, yeah. Yeah. all this information is really accessible. There's hundreds of thousands of success stories that you know littered all over the comments it's great to see people like yourself with the wealth of experience you have and the way you articulate yourself as well uh, on on various mediums so i just want to extend my gratitude to you mm, thank you i really appreciate that of course. i it's a it's a passion project and um i don't know if you felt this as as a doctor like there was a point somewhere in my clinic career that i realized like, if you look at the word doctor, it means to teach. Mm. And why would I, it, it was almost like a bit selfish of me to take what I knew and keep it within the walls of my clinic. Yeah. And so I just wanted to start to teach people about how their bodies work. And then we just have this beautiful thing called YouTube <laughs> and all the social media. And I started to see that people were thirsty for it. But I think really the highest place we can go as humans and especially as doctors is as servants of information. Like what we know shouldn't stay in our head. It should it should be permeating every possible place we can get it to so that people become inspired. And if you just look at what happened in the pandemic, everybody went into retraction mm. and fear. Why did they go into fear? Because they didn't know anything about their immune systems. They didn't understand how their body worked. I, there was not a single day I was in fear during the pandemic because I went into action because I understood the immune system. And, and I got it. I got through it. It was fine. And I think the biggest problem that we have is that people don't understand themselves. So they continue to fall prey to big food, big pharma, all the, all the fear tactics out there. And we just got to give the individual the power back. And that's what I'm on a mission to do. Amen. I love that. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. I can't wait to do this again one day yeah, uh, in the you. studio and I'll cook uh, yeah, you some would, food oh as God, well. Oh I'm going to break your fast with that. I didn't even ask you which foods that you break your fast with, but we'll get to that. Oh, you know what we'll do? I'll come back and we can do a whole break fast. <laughs>
Oh, I'd love that. A break fast. Yeah, yeah. I'd love that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. Remember, you can support the pod by rating on Apple, follow along by hitting the subscribe button on Spotify, and you can catch all of our podcasts on YouTube if you enjoy seeing our smiley faces. Review show notes on the doctorskitchen.com website and sign up to our free weekly newsletters where we do deep dives into ingredients, the latest nutrition news, and of course, lots of recipes by subscribing to the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter by going to thedoctorskitchen.com forward slash newsletter. And if you're looking to take your health further, why not download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free from the App Store? I will see you here next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.